Other leafers, if I could ask you to pray again. Let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, before, before the dawn of time, you saw this day, you ordained this day, you had something in mind for this day, and it is your plan, Father. And we just praise you and thank you for it. We ask your blessing on your word as it's open today. We ask your blessing on Pastor Bob as he delivers this word to us. Open our hearts, Father, that uh, we will not leave this place unchanged. But on this day that you have created, Father, we will be uh, further strengthened for working your kingdom and uh, more conformed to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is his name alone that we pray. Amen. And amen. This is uh, the seventh in our series on uh, Man Says, God Says, and uh, we will uh, conclude it this evening. Perhaps coming back, as I said, there's a couple of other subjects that have been raised, but those will uh, be touched on by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians uh, in the weeks and months to come. So we'll leave those for, for Paul to speak to us through the Holy Spirit on. But tonight we want to deal with the subject of the week. And actually what I really want to spend it on is the weekend. I just want you to think about how man today thinks about the week. How does society, how does the world think about the week? And, and is that the same as what God says? You know, our society has a view in which you could kind of summarize it and say, man's view is that one lives for the weekend. Remember, there used to be a, a commercial on television a number of years ago. Weekends were made for Michelob. It's an interesting thought, isn't it, as far as what we know what Scripture says. But that was man's view. And that continues to be man's view. There are many people who believe that they simply live for the weekend. And the weekend means getting drunk. The weekend means drinking as much alcohol as you possibly can consume beginning Friday night when you get off from work and ending somewhere Sunday evening, perhaps in time to sleep it off before you come drowsily into work and underperform for most of the day on Monday. Weekends are made for Michelob. Sort of the view of mankind. Or along that same stream, how often do you not hear the weatherman say, the weekend weather forecast, the weekend weather forecast. It's rather strange. They always include Sunday in their weekend weather forecast. They never end their week on Saturday. And then, of course, there's even ourselves. Because we fall into this too, right? We'll ask one another frequently, so what are you doing this weekend? And, and by that, we, we mean, what are you doing Saturday and Sunday? What are, what are your plans? We may say it to a co-worker at work. So what are you doing this weekend? We, we think about the week in terms of five and two. That's the way man thinks of it. You work for five, play for two. Or 
what man would really like is to work for four, play for three, or maybe even whittle it down a little bit more. But, but that's the way in which man sees the weak. If you were to ask most people outside of a Christian environment, how do you divide up your week? Many people would say, well, I work for five and there's two that are off from work. Five and two. That's the way in which we as mankind tend to divide it. Or we could become a little more specific and just talk about Sunday. For man, Sunday is to shop. Sunday is to sleep. Sunday is to recreate. Sunday is to play sports. Sunday is to travel. Sunday for many businessmen is to get ready for Monday's work day. For many students, Sunday is the day to catch up on all the homework you let go throughout the week and to finish writing that paper that was assigned three weeks ago for school on Monday morning. Or another way of simply saying it is this. It's my day. I can do what I want. It's no different from any other day. You, you travel to other parts of the world. And, and there, there really is no, no weekend view in other parts of the world. I asked Don McCrory about that once. I said, you know, when you go to China, okay, what's Sunday like on China? In China, answer, like any other day of the week. There's nothing unique, nothing special. People go to work, people go to school. It, it's just a normal day. There, there's, there's no concept even of somehow the week is divided up in some way. It's just all one big pot called the week. And it's no different. Some of you, I, I know, who have traveled to... Other places, perhaps on mission works and so on, whether it's Guatemala or Costa Rica, you take note of that. Everything runs. Buses run. Everything goes on. It's like nobody takes note of anything unique. Or, of course, there are those folks in, in our world who would say, well, Saturday is the day of worship. People up the road at the Seventh-day Adventist church or there are those who would say, give God some, but not all. Give God some, but not all. I ran across an article by John MacArthur. I don't often quote John MacArthur. In fact, this might be the first time I've ever quoted John MacArthur. I don't quote a lot of people. But I, I came across an article that he wrote uh, entitled, Why Sunday is the Lord's Day. And he goes through and he talks about the fact that he has traveled in, in his experience in many places. And, and wherever he goes, Christians always gather on Sunday. That, that's kind of a phenomenon, isn't it, when you stop to think about it? That for some 2,000 years, Christians have been gathering on Sunday for worship. But he also talked about his own experience uh, of growing up, of, of uh, what it was like to grow up into a home that, that kept the Sabbath day holy, or at least sought to do so in the best way it knew how. He talked earlier in the article about uh, his early days at Grace Community Church, and I think it's in the San Fernando Valley. 
He said there was only one mall in the San Fernando Valley, and it was closed on Sunday. By law, by law, the rules were that no business could be open on Sunday. And now I think probably the last place we would think about of ever a day being set aside would probably be California. But then my... In regards to giving God just a little, not, a, not at all. He says, well, many churches had begun to whittle away at Sunday. This is in the last 25 years or so. They have reduced Sunday to a one-hour, non-intrusive experience you can have on your way to the beach, in your bathing suit if you want. They have minimized Sunday down to this one hour that you can get out of the way. And in order to accommodate people who don't even want to dent Sunday with that, they accommodate that with a Saturday night service. You can go to the Saturday night service and you don't have to pay any attention to Sunday whatsoever. So you can have the whole day at the beach. And you can do the Saturday service at night when it's dark. You can't go outside and play anyway. This is typical of the contemporary trend. And people seem to make very little difference between whether people gather on a Saturday or a Sunday. It doesn't seem to be an issue. There are a lot of folks who would like to leave Sunday completely free for games, recreation, going to the mall or whatever else they want to go and do. Throw in a Sunday night, Saturday night service that takes just a little while seems to accommodate their busy schedule readily. Well, does it really matter? Is it important for us to do this on Sunday? Couldn't we just as well do it any other day of the week? Man's view. We can, we can do with the week what we want. We can do with the days of the week what we want. We can gather when we want. We don't have to gather if we don't want to. That's what man says. Let's turn to God's Word tonight. The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. As you know, when we are in this series, we'll be in a number of passages in Scripture, but this will, this will be our foundational one. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Let's hear what the Lord says. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, all of us who are here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. Well, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the, fourth and third, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your day is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. These are the words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added, no more. And he wrote them on two stone tablets of stone and gave them to me. Thus far the reading of God's word. Seems like... Oh, Danny... I think we'll go without it. Let's try that.
Lord, we used to wander around aimlessly in life. And now you've given us a land flowing with milk and honey. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to live for you. So the reading of the law here in Deuteronomy is a reminder to us that we too, considering the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and think of how we sang those hymns this evening. Think of how, think of how we sang about our deliverance. Think of how we sang about how it is that we were saved in the blood of Jesus Christ from all of our sin. Now we're going to say, yep, thanks for doing that, God. Now I'm going to live for the weekend. Now I'm going to live for my pleasure. Now I'm going to live for what I want to do. Now the Lord comes to us as his people and he says, It doesn't come as a command. No Christian, no believer, no one who understands the weight of their sin and the price of their deliverance would ever look at this as God's demand. It would arise out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness so that we would say with Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. That's what we do. God says that's what those who have been delivered by the blood of Christ do. They live for Christ. They don't have a mindset of living for the weekend.
to rest for one. Now, he's saying much more than that, but, but it, at least start, we, we need to start thinking in the way that God is giving. You see, it's not God saying every day is the same. No. Six days to labor, one to rest. Not every day is the same. Five and two is wrong. Four and three is wrong. That's not the way I designed you. Now, let me explain that as well, because some of you are thinking, well, my boss won't let me work six days. They cut me off at 40 hours. By six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. Includes not only the work of your employment. It doesn't say for six days thou shalt be employed. It says for six days you shall labor and do all your work. Which means that if you're only employed for 40 hours, that means you've got time to do all that other work and all those other chores. You see, you don't need to do it on Sunday. See, the gardening doesn't need to be done on Sunday. The lawn doesn't need to be mowed on Sunday. I give you six days. Labor. Do all your work. Organize your life. If you can't organize your life to do all your work in six days, you need to reorganize your life. Something's wrong. Because the way God established it is, do all your work in six days. This is the way I order it. And on the seventh day, you're at a rest. It's an established order. Thirdly, letter C. There is also a commanded rest. Not only does God divide it to six and one, unlike our society and our world, but God also orders that that one day, that seventh day, is a Sabbath. It's a day of rest. The word Sabbath, as I've mentioned before, but there are a number of visitors, so I'll mention it again. The word Sabbath does not mean Saturday. The word Sabbath does not even mean seventh day. The word Sabbath means rest. We are to have a Sabbath. We are to have a day of rest. What rest? Sleep? No. That's not what he's saying. He didn't say six days shalt thou labor, and the seventh day you sleep. Doesn't say that. What it says is you rest. Rest from what? Your work. All God is saying is this. That which needs to be done, you do within the six days. That which becomes your responsibility from your employment. That which is your responsibility for your household. That which is a responsibility for your school. That which is a responsibility of life. Of taking care of a house. Do in six days. Seventh day. Rest. Do none of that work. Cease from that labor. Do none of that work. It is a commanded rest. Not only for oneself, but if one is in a position where one has employees, if one is in a position where one has 
implements that, that do work as well, you are to give them a rest. You're not to work them. It's clear. Give them a rest. Servants, male, female, ox, donkey, give them a rest. Everything deserves a break from the work that it is to do the other six days. But it's not only a rest, is it? Verse 12. Observe this day of rest. Observe this rest day to keep it holy. Make it sacred. This doesn't mean, you see, then it's that it's my day to do what I want. This is a day that I must keep holy. That is what the Lord is saying. So unlike our society out there that says it's my day, it's a day to sleep, it's a day to shop, recreate, play sports, travel, whatever else, God says, no, it isn't. You're working six days. The other day is the day for you to keep holy. This becomes our responsibility. This becomes our, I won't say duty, but this becomes that which God desires from us. This is what God wants us to do with the one day. He wants us to keep it as a holy day. A day in which one thinks about God. A day in which one worships God. A day in which one contemplates God. A day in which one rests in God. That is what the day is for. Not like what man says. Now in your notes, I, I'd like you to go from, I, we have A, you live for the Lord, B, the established order, C, the commanded rest. I want you to go down to F. And I want you to go with me to Mark chapter 2. much know this text, okay? If, if, you, if you believe at all in the, the, the keeping of the Sabbath, okay, as a day of rest, sooner or later, some fellow Christian from some non-Sabbath keeping tradition is going to throw this verse at you. It's verse 27. Because they love to throw back, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And they deliberate, deliberately stopped the quote there. But that's not the whole quote, is it? The quote is, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. But what's the importance of that? The importance is Jesus is saying, look. You're getting all involved in this day. What you need to know is that I'm the Lord of the day. I am the Lord of this time of rest. What does it mean that he is Lord? 
As Lord of the Sabbath, which means he owns the day. That's what lordship implies. He is Lord of heaven and earth. What does that mean? It means he owns it. The Lord owns the day. Jesus Christ owns the day. He is to be the focus of the day. It's like being the Lord of the manor. He is to be the focus of that manner. It is the Lord who made us and we are his. He is to be our focus. So when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, it means the Sabbath day is to be kept in a way that is a focus on him, for he is the owner of it, but he also has the rights to it. He controls the day. He can interpret the day. So if Jesus says, the Sabbath will no longer be the seventh day, but the Sabbath, this period of rest, is now going to be the first day, it's his right to do so. See, this really has, this passage really has nothing to do with, well, you see, we can do whatever we want on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath wasn't made for man, man was made for the Sabbath. He's not talking anything about that. He's talking about his right, his ownership, his right to interpret. He can tell us what the character is to be like. He is to tell us what the time is to be like. And he is the one who can continue it for as long as he desires to continue it. For he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So rather than Jesus setting aside Deuteronomy chapter 5. What Jesus is actually doing is emphasizing Deuteronomy chapter 5. He's saying, I'm the one who is the Lord of this day. Now why does he say that? Because what had happened? The religious leaders of the day, most notably the Pharisees, had taken the Sabbath hostage. They're the ones who thought they were the Lord of the Sabbath. They thought they were the ones in control. They thought they had ownership of it, that they had dominion over it. And Jesus is stepping in and saying, guys, you've got it all wrong. You men are not the ones in charge of the Sabbath. I am. I am in charge of this. Notice Jesus doesn't set aside the Sabbath of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Jesus doesn't say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It no longer exists. doesn't say that. He says, I am in control of this day. So unlike man, and in our society today, that wants to argue against this created order, this established order that God has given, this redemptive order that God has placed, Man wants to raise their angry fist and say, no, we're the Lord of the Sabbath. We get to decide what to do. Jesus said, no, I'm the one who is the Lord of this Sabbath. Now, I, I, I wanted to do that one. Now I want you to go back to Jesus. Because what does the Lord of the Sabbath do? The Lord of the Sabbath says, change the day. Yes, you used to gather on that seventh day. 
That was the day designated. But that's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath, I declare, is now the first day of the week. Now all we have to do to understand that is to go back to, to the gospel accounts. We understand that the one who rose again from the dead rises on the first day of the week. The gospel writers emphasize that. And they emphasize it because they're not writing a diary at the moment it occurs. They're writing it from the perspective of years of church history now. By the time Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John get around to writing their gospels, the church has been in existence 20, 30 years. Jesus ascended into heaven 20, 30 years. Now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John begin writing it. And they're writing it from the perspective of, you know what? That whole business of Christ rising on the first day of the week is pretty significant. He didn't rise on a Sabbath. He rose on the first day of the week. So when you get to Acts chapter 20, the story of the church, the history of the church, what is the history of the church? They're gathering together to break bread, to have the Lord's Supper, to commune with one another. When? On the first day of the week. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, to, like I commanded all the churches in Galatia, you there in Corinth, when you come together on the first day of the week, come together with an offering. But perhaps the one to pay most attention to in regards to that is go to the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. John writes, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. That's what it said in Acts. That's what it says in Corinthians. This is what it says here. Now, why is that significant? Because in John's books, the seventh day is always called the Sabbath.
rather than listening to the Lord of the Sabbath, who comes and tells us, this is the way it is to be. But let me give you another reason. Because the whole pattern of six and one, not of five and two and four and three, but the pattern of six and one is an eternal pattern. Okay, what do you mean by that, Pastor Mark? Go to the book of Hebrews, chapter four. The book of Hebrews, chapter four, the author is talking about the fact that there is still to come a Sabbath. Just go to that. Hebrews 4. And, and the whole thing is about that, but go down to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The author of Hebrews is saying there is something spiritually connected to our salvation. Not that we're saved by it, but that our salvation is displayed through it. That by Keeping the Sabbath by resting from our work. It is a picture of the fact that you and I confess, I don't save myself. I have to rest completely in Christ. He alone, he alone is my salvation. Not in myself. By somehow changing even the week in which we think about it. There is a way in which man is seeking to say, some of my salvation is dependent upon me. And God is saying, no, I gave an established order of the week. And I gave a Sabbath. So that there would be the pause to always think and to reflect upon my son and the gift of my son for your salvation and that you can reflect upon that because that's what you're going to do for all eternity. That's the Sabbath rest that is yet to come. That which is to come is not living for the weekend, my folks. That's not what eternity is going to be about. Eternity isn't going to be about, this is my day, I can do what I want. Eternity isn't going to be about, hey, I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to go recreate. No, eternity is going to be about Christ and focusing upon Christ and the glory of Christ and the majesty of Christ. And he gives us this day for us to do so now. That in the busyness of our lives, we have one day to rest fully in Christ, that we can think about him and all the blessings and all the treasures that we have. So when we stop and think about it, why would we only give him a portion of this day? Why would we stop and think, oh, an hour in the morning is enough, let's make sure it's an hour because we have to be in and out because we have
have to be here for coffee, and then we have to be here for brunch. I can't have an hour, and I certainly can't have an afternoon. I can't have an evening. Oh, no, that's just way too much of an imposition. You tell me who was imposed upon. My sin was imposed upon Christ. He suffered hell for me. You can't give him one day a week out of gratitude, out of thankfulness. Had God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. Yeah, but don't make it go over an hour, Pastor. And we ought to be done with all our activities by 11 a.m. so we got the rest of the day to do what we want. Really? I scarce can take it in, but I can fit it in in a few minutes. God says, no, I want you to take a whole week. Take me. Praise the Lord. Yep, for 10 minutes. That's all I got. I got to get to the mall for that. So that six days we labor and do 